Welcome, everyone. I'm Sandra Bargeman. A few years ago, I wrote and performed a solo show called The Edge of Every Day, which was an exploration of the rough edges and contradictions we all face and grapple with. The show hit a nerve, and the relevance of the topic would only grow over time more than I could have foreseen. So, here we are. Real talk with real people, sharing stories and perspectives that spark provocative invitations to leap out of what's safe, on the edge of every day. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. We are live in the hive, and thank you for joining me on this, the 16th episode of The Edge of Every Day, here on talkradio.nyc. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, and for those of you who don't know me yet, I encourage you to check out my bio on talkradio.nyc, or you can visit my website, sandrabargeman.com, or tune into any of my previous episodes. In a nutshell, this show is about celebrating triumphs, pushing boundaries, and exploring rough edges. Through conversations and shared stories with friends and colleagues, it's my hope that we can begin to understand our edges. And what I mean by edges is those places where we are fearful those places where we are resistant to change, those places where paradoxes and contradictions live in our beliefs and understandings, both in ourselves and in the world around us, those places where we don't want to look. Listen, we live in turbulent times. As 2022 begins, we are reassessing and reshifting, and we are coming to understand that life isn't black or white. It must be an embrace of both. And the more we recognize our own edges and get real about them, the more we can help others to do the same. And that, I fully believe, can help to change the world. So thanks again for tuning in. And without further ado, it's time to introduce our guest this evening. Catherine McClintock is a New York City-based dancer, choreographer, founder, poet, and author. Catherine choreographs dance flows and word flows. As a choreographer, her career has involved dancing with drag artists like Pattaya Hart and Ms. Cracker, training with Dance Lab New York and Gallon Hooks, choreographing Medea at Columbia University, instrumental storytellers at Symphony Space, and award-winning TV and film such as This Is B.S. and the feminist horror film Queen of the Mold by Lizzie Bryce. She is the founder of the Inbox Dance Party, her online time management solution that combines the five-minute Pomodoro technique with her signature dance movements and curated playlists. A closet poet until now, she's here to discuss her debut book, Ending the War on My Body, which is a decade-long poetic march through the feminine minefield of body image, self-esteem, and the winding path to peace. Welcome, Catherine. 
Hi, Sandra. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure. You are most welcome. It is such a pleasure to have you here. And for those listening in, this was a wonderful introduction through a mutual good friend of ours who we're going to shout out to, Elizabeth McBride. Thank you for this fantastic introduction. I'm very excited to dive in with you. So let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you said on one of your, in one of your websites, one of your web pages, which I loved, you came out of the womb twirling. And I absolutely loved that because I, too, have said, I popped out of the womb singing and acting. So I totally relate to that. So you popped out of the womb, twirling and movement. So you see the world through the lens of movement. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I would agree with that for sure. Cool. So kinetically, you're very kinetically oriented. You respond to the world kinetically. Yes. You've also called yourself on one of your bios, a distractible kinetic extrovert, which I adored. I absolutely (laughs) adored. So tell us about that. What does the how does that translate to your childhood being a distractible kinetic extrovert? And how did that move into your dance training? And how did that inform your move for a dance career to New York City? Tell us that story. Wow, that I, I didn't even know I'd nailed myself so well on the internet. Um, (laughs) Oh, I picked it up. (laughs) You you got it. Um, I I think a great example of this is one time I was laughing, and I fell off a chair. And no one knows quite how to suddenly on the floor is really, and you can see it just in the way that I am. Now I just, I just move a lot. (laughs) I love that. <laughs> um, so that's that's the kinetic piece of me, I would say. I would say that I I when I know something, it's like my body starts an engine and I just have to do something about it. You know, I bobble my head when I talk, I move my hands constantly. This is just it's something I think I've always done. And then distractible, I'm very easy. I I really like to follow what I'm curious about. Mm -hmm. And there's not always a lot of control over that. So I go over here and over here and over here. Um, A lot of movement to that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just like to move around the space, uh, the mental space, the physical space. And the extroversion is I'm so socially motivated and charged. And I really, I love being in conversation. I love being with people. I love being in rooms full of energy. And I, I, I instantly feel joyful when I'm around people. So I would say that like, I'm very sunny when I'm with people. (laughs) Yes. I can imagine you're a great teacher too, in addition oh. to your choreography, which we're moving into. So, so you, you took dance training, I'm, I rest assured, you know, as a young person and, and, yes. and that was supported, of course, with your family. They were, they were really into your body movement, you know, that they, that was cool with them and supportive of you. Yeah, absolutely. My parents were supportive and, 
they they waited. There was a time when they waited for me to really express that I wanted more training. So instead of just letting anything happen to me, I really they gave me a little space. And when I was like, no, I want to take dance classes. No, I want to take two a week, four a week, five a week. Oh, that they really let me lead that, which I'm too. grateful for. Yeah. And my grandmother, uh, in particular, really helped me take the amount of classes that I did. She was oh. very supportive of dance. Oh, that's glorious. I had very supportive grandparents too. Yeah. And it that's that wonderful. makes a difference. Yes. So you made the move to New York City. You decided yes. to go and 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 pursue this in the the insane creative life in New York City. And mm-hmm. um so you are you you're auditioning for things, you're doing jobs, but you have this aha moment in your auditions. Tell us about that aha moment. Yes. Um, I had an aha moment. I think it was probably my fifth or sixth year in the city. I moved here right after high school and very brave. (laughs) And I realized when I got cut that I just felt this sigh of relief that I didn't have to go to Nebraska. And that really got me questioning whether or not I was like, why was I still pounding the pavement in the way that I was? And was there another way? And um, my husband actually posed a great hypothetical for me that helped me kind of find where I landed. And it was, would you rather be able to rehearse with anyone, learn from any teacher, be dancing with a variety of people, but never be able to perform? Or would you rather perform every night, but you can only rehearse and take company class with the same people for the rest of your life? Oh, that's fantastic. It was such a, it was such a good hypothetical. It was so edgy, I think is a good word for it. Completely the edge. And, and I realized that I didn't have to do one or the other, but my my whole body was like, Ooh, I just want to do a little bit of everything. I want to rehearse. I want to learn. I want to try other styles. I don't want to like just get on a track just to perform. Mm. And I think that was really powerful. And I've performed plenty since, but it's been in such a different way. Right. It was really powerful. And so that that gave birth to potentially you wanting to choreograph and your understanding of because I want to do a little bit of everything and you so intuitively, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, what I'm hearing is that you're so intuitively movement oriented and, and that you you respond mentally with movement. So the arc of what, how you think of performing is the arc of the movement which I think is a great, is the skill for choreographers. How, what is the arc of the movement? So tell us how you moved into the discovery of choreography. I think that for a long time, I felt like I wasn't allowed to. Um, And I wasn't allowed to choreograph until X. It's something I'd always done as a kid. I would just do full ballets to... And, and um, I don't remember the name, but this like 
kids tape in my room and it was elaborate. And I just like always had these ideas. I choreographed throughout high school. Like I did these things, but I thought I had to become a certain type of dancer before I could move into that space. And I think that through, you know, this intersects through some healing I also started creating and like realizing how much I wanted to generate. And that opened me up to the opportunity and the possibility of this happening. (laughs) Mm. And I would, and I would say that I like chose it and went after it, but I honestly, the one train went backwards one night and I ran into a director. I, I said, I'm interested in learning more about choreography. Let me know if you need help. And she said, do you want to choreograph my whole show? I'm looking for someone. And, <laughs> and it was just, up. you know, I'd been in New York, I think 10 years at that point, had never been on a train that actually backed up into a station. <laughs> and then I run into this director who I danced for before. And we shared, we happened to be neighbors. We shared a cab. Shout out to Miriam Grell. She's, she's fantastic. Uh, I love it. Um, And that is really what got me excited to get started with it. Mm, I love it. I love the symbolism of backing up. That's just too brilliant. (laughs) Well, what's interesting to me though, in hearing you say that I didn't, I had to be a X. It, there was an X time, and I had to be an X dancer before I allowed myself to step into that and to speak that truth and to live that movement. And that feels very connected to body image to me. The allowing of of who we are to shine through and to and to, and to give that freedom and give that that movement and that desire uh, and not society's understanding of, you know, not to clamp ourselves down. They feel very connected to me. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. All of this really, my, my beginning of choreography really begins where my eating disorder ends. And I love that. That's fabulous. That's okay. That's a brilliant, brilliant moment for us to break. And when we come back, we are going to speak with Catherine about her new book of poetry, Ending the War on My Body. I can't wait. And and, and hopefully you, you can put up a picture of the cover of it. And uh, if you can work on that in the break, getting that up on the screen. And the edges of mental health body image, and making art. When we come back on The Edge of Every Day with Katherine McClintock, stay tuned. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. of every day and we are back with Catherine McClintic and we're about to ask her about her brand new debut book it's coming out on um coming out in April in April I'm sorry I was checking out what you were saying is where the poster is oh okay um um yeah no i'm not going to bring that up um fine i'm i can't share my i'm not screen. i'm not smooth on that Catherine. not yet it's all good <laughs> but it's coming out april 2nd and um and again it's called ending the war on my body and this is one of the reviews that has come in for it let me read it a bewitching unflinching and body-centered tour of duty McClintic weaves her own striking experience of eating disorders in the dance world and the hard-won journey back to her human self with finesse and a fierce honesty that is sorely needed in our world. Told in a brilliant, unassuming, jewel-faceted voice, McClintic's journey is a powerful and relatable one. Love that. That's exquisite. So I am going to ask you, Catherine, to please read and give a little intro to the to unrest. And it really, I'll let you speak about give give the intro and how it tells your story. Great. So uh, Elizabeth Woods Darby wrote that review. So I just want to shout her out. And Unrest is the first poem in my book. This is actually what kicks off the whole collection. Mm -hmm. And it was written during my healing process as a reflection of some of the origins that I was bringing up in therapy. Mm. Unrest. I remember liking my clothes and making bold choices. I suited up in what suited me. 
I felt like an icon, a tween idol, hot pink capris, lime green tank, zebra striped accessories, pigtails and a too big smile, unplucked eyebrows, glitter for miles. I floated above. Like a pin to a balloon, I remember the day when I learned that I didn't know how to pretty. No one told me, but there was a skeptical squint, a snicker as I walked past. Someone's mother said, well, aren't you brave to be so much? My bubble popped. Though I had been me wholeheartedly, it wasn't pretty, was it? I didn't know how to pretty. So I looked in Cosmo, in Vogue, in diet articles, in the Reader's Digest, telling me to count how many times I chew each bite of food, which I certainly started to do. There were no pamphlets on becoming pretty in the school counselor's spinning wire racks. Yet other girls knew the secrets I seemed to lack. They knew how to pretty. Who had taught them? What could I learn? Maybe the secret was losing the stripes, adding highlights, clothes fitting just right. I put on the blues and the grays and trained in ballet like a cadet in boot camp, enlisted in learning how to pretty myself. For the good of the many, I would die for beauty, give anything to be rid of my belly. The glitter on my cheeks rotted and turned to petroleum shame. I think I was nine when the war began. Thank you for that. I read that and I was absolutely jolted by your the last phrase. Um, I was certainly jolted by the, well, aren't you brave to be so much? I think... There's not a woman on the face of the planet that hasn't been told she's too something. Too much, too loud, too big, too fat, too skinny, too tall, too short, too mouthy, too funny, too something. Always too much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and also the, the, that it was a mother that said that. And so, in, in preparing for our conversation, I personally did not have a mother that that spoke about any of those things to my sister or I. She was that there was no if we were a little overweight or going through a growth spurt or whatever. They were fine. Did you have a mother that 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 was you? You said in the beginning that you had a supportive mother. Was she tuned in to? You know, did she comment on on your weight or anything like that when you were young? No, actually, my mother was quite validating. Like when I first expressed the concern about having a belly when I think I was like nine, Mm -hmm. um, she said, that's normal. She this is the advantage of having a mother who studied early childhood education and development and all of that. (laughs) Ah, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) So she was always quite adept and with it and was like very none of none of this came from her explicitly um but i i noticed comments from other 
mothers, from friends, from dance teachers. And sometimes they weren't directly about me, but they'd be about someone that looked like me. And that's enough. When you're a kid, that's enough. It's everywhere. Of course. And I do. And I've always been a I've always been a presence, I would say. I'm always like moving, doing something. And I I really feel like I got lots of little tiny slaps on the hand for just showing up that way if I was too excited, uh, especially when I was in a space that wasn't my own. <sighs> wow. Yeah, too much to control, mm. which really can be a trigger for for both men and women. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I have a couple of statistics here that blew my mind. Okay. I, I Over 1.6 million people continue to suffer from eating disorders throughout the U.S. Half of American elementary school students in the first through third grades want to be thinner. And four out of five children at the age of 10 like you, are afraid of being fat, are getting, are learning about body image. When when did you start to question or be aware of body image in the way that society was viewing uh, body image uh, for appearance sake as oppo- and beauty sake as opposed to health sake? When were you aware of that? It's... I was reflecting on this earlier today, actually, and I it's hard because it started so young for me to see if I had a sense of self without this voice. If I you know, like it's so it it feels very muddy that time. But I do remember that I didn't I had always loved ballet. And all I knew is I didn't look like the people that were very good at ballet. And I specifically remember uh, someone's mother <laughs> gave me a book with the New York, from the New York City Ballet, and it talked about the ideal body proportions. And I was 11 at the time. Oh, my God. And I, I, that book is like, it especially made me spiral. It was like, I have the wrong feet. And I developed young. I, I was in early puberty. <laughs> So, you know, like more starting in fourth, fifth grade, I had my big growth spurt. So I also just didn't look like my peers at that time. And that was jarring. Like, why do they all still look like young children? And then I'm like gearing up to be five foot eight next year, you know? (laughs) And, but I didn't understand. I have no concept of that. But I did have a concept of, oh, these things are already wrong with me for what I want to do with my whole life. <laughs> right. And you knew that then. Is that when yeah. dis- uh, eating disorders began? I would say that's when they started to creep in. Um, it it would have been too hard at that age, I think, because still so much was prepared for me. Right. But I do remember asking for spinach salads in my lunch. And I started to have this like aversion to bread. And it, it was the 90s. So there's so much about fat is bad. Fat is bad. Carbs are bad. Like there's just this constant barrage of that. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Um, 
you know, I just think about social media today and, and mm-hmm. how young people are coming up. And, and thankfully, I never I never had it. You know, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't it feels like it's not even with social media. It's actually gotten worse in time as opposed to better. Like you would think through that we would have learned these things. But but still, we're we're fighting that fighting that battle, that dragon, that self image yeah. dragon. So. And- Oh, go ahead. I just want to say on that, I think that it it's about how you use social media too, because I've actually found a lot of healing through social media. Excellent. So I think that, but it takes more curation than what yes, happens uh, automatically. And I was going to ask you that later on in there and how, and particularly how you would help young people who are just coming up now, how that, that social media um, curation might be mm. might be done, and how would you advise that? So we'll mm. revisit that in the last section. Absolutely. Cool. So when did you? Um, when did you? How did? What was the spark for writing? One minute to break. <laughs> like I told you, Catherine, this always goes so fast. It goes so fast. It's startlingly quick. Just every time I think I'm getting the, the, the hang of the amount of time, I'm always reminded that actually, no, you haven't, Sandra, learned this. So this is a great time for us to, we're going to, when we come back, we're going to talk about with Catherine, what was the spark? How did you start writing? What was it born out of perhaps journaling? Um, and what was that process? And how did that help with the healing? When we come back with author, poet, Catherine McClintock on the edge of every day. Stay tuned. Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Chipping around, kick my brain to the ground. These are the days it never And we 
we are back with Catherine McClintick. So walk us through, how, what was the spark to writing poetry and how did that begin and how was that helpful in this journey for you? I always, I think that there's something so similar about the experience of watching dance and experiencing poetry in that it, it doesn't quite hit the idea in a, in a, a narrative way or a literal way all the time. It floats around. It helps get into the nooks and crannies a little bit. I love that. <laughs> so I think that there's always been a connection there for me. That's like a way that I express myself. Um, I've always written in little journals as a kid. I started writing in high school more poetry. I really latched on to the creative writing poetry section at my school. And actually one of the first, I have two books that I wrote, uh, two poems that I wrote in high school that are in the book um, because it's just the depth. That was the, the peak of my denial about my eating disorder. And then the rest of the book I did in secret over the over a decade just on my phone or in a notebook or just anywhere when I had a thought or something that was just turning over I would just write it down and I'm very grateful I did oh Hmm? of course my god we're we're all going to be grateful anyone who's (laughs) going to read your book but why why in secret oh the The book is so vulnerable and honest, and I think I just wasn't ready to share that. Even with yourself, maybe. Yeah, I think I think making any of this public would have uh, made it more real than I was ready for. Of course. And then so much of it was happening while I was in therapy, while I was making realizations, while I was like, "Why didn't anyone say this to me Mm. sooner?" (laughs) Right. And oh my Lord. And so, so how would you share the relationship of body image with mental health, with creating art? What are the edges of that? Connect those edges for us. Body image, mental health and art. I think that art it, it helps you express something. Creating can help you express something mm. that uh, just having a conversation or talking to your therapist or learning a new medical resource doesn't quite hit. In that nooks and crannies way, I found that creating, that agency to actually create, and then even in the sharing of this, it solidifies something. It allows for some forward motion. It like helps me change me. I don't know for anyone else, but it helps me change at a cellular level mm-hmm. in, and actually like makes me understand the learning that I've had. So instead mm-hmm. of just saying, I believe this, a poem, a dance can help me transform that in my own actions and behaviors. Absolutely. So so while you were writing this and you were in therapy and so it was through you would correct me if i'm wrong what i'm hearing is is that it it, the poetry was through the healing process so do you talk about your mental state in your poetry and Mm. the, the 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 despair Talk to us a little bit about that and, and yeah. the, the, the edge of that. 
Mm, Yes, I definitely do. I think that in my 20s, what had just been about food and control and thinness, really, really that divorce from my body just led to a self-loathing that was really intense and deep. Great way of saying it, divorce from your body. Mm -hmm. You just, it, it turned on all of me. I think in high school, I still would have said I liked myself and I, and that faded. Um, so, and, and it turned bitter and sour. And so there's so much that is, is my inner voice chastising myself for, uh, for the way that I am, for the way that my body was for all of it. So it talks about my body, but I think so much more than that is like, is just what was going on here when I was looking at the mirror, what was going on. I'm motioning behind my eyes, like what was happening from in my brain outward, because that's where the real change had to happen. No amount of changing my diet made me better. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I think this is a great time to bring up your choreography with the, um, the horror movie, the Mm -hmm. feminine horror movie, the queen of the mold movie. And just, I I loved what was said that, that physical space equals power and how our society compels women to be as small as possible. And that's exactly what you were just talking about in your poetry. Mm -hmm. And so how did that understanding inform you so tell us about this movie quickly uh, about the, the 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 idea of the movie yeah. but and how you choreographed that how you took that understanding that internal understanding and put it into movement for this movie hmm, that's really interesting i mean mo- so much of that was lizzie bryce L- lizzie bryce directed it she wrote mm-hmm. the film right and and she was the one who really brought the idea of taking up space into it and so um I'm trying I don't want to like spoil it but oh it's there. not out no it's it's out it's out <laughs> okay no right no spoilers no spoilers yeah I know it's it's there 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 are announcements where well so talk about then without go, going far into the movie just the talk fuck. about it's a woman who who regains her sense of yes largesse in the world yes and actually becomes a monster that protects herself, essentially. And that's what I got to choreograph was the her becoming a monster and, and, and reclaiming it. And, and how do you take someone that is a beautiful woman and make them look horrifying without doing anything with CGI, like without really changing something about her. So she just moved in a way that was quite disturbing and started to take up more and more of the space that she was in. Oh my. So what was the turning point for you? Mm. What was the turning point where you decided to choose health over appearance? Which one? Which (laughs) one? (laughs) Um, I think there's been several, but, uh, Mm. some big ones were realizing that I wasn't eating enough, uh, period. You know, I think I was just in denial for so long about that, 
And so actually like nourishing my body, the book intuitive eating was fantastic for that. That was a huge turning point in just like, Oh, let me, let me eat, let me nourish. And then another turning point was deciding to go to therapy was seeing that like, I couldn't fix what was going on in my head by myself Mm. that I needed, I needed a place to, to excavate to the root of of why I just wanted to peel my skin off, like why I just wanted to be other, but I couldn't tell you what other was. And so I would say that those were two big turning points. And like, and they, they, it got to some extremes before I got there, but I do remember realizing that it's not normal to throw up from anxiety Right. (laughs) You know, that there's just those points where you're like, I don't think this is okay. This is, this has happened four times this week. I don't think that this is healthy. I don't think I can continue. Yeah. Well, of course we all know, but you know, you have the, the double-edged sword, of course, in, in your choices, not only are you conditioned societally as a female, you know, what, what, uh, what is beautiful, beautiful is what is beautiful. And a certain look is beautiful and beauty equals power. That's a given for, I think every female, but then we have the whole dynamic of the performance industry that also really supports, really supports that. I, you know, I remember I went to Carnegie Mellon university Mm. and, um, you know, and it was a, a damaging time for a lot of people physically, you know, because so many people are, when they're going away to college, they, they gain weight. And mm. so to, to be told that you might not be able to, you might not remain in school because you've gained weight. And, you know, I hello. know, That's I know, just tragic. It's absolutely tragic. One of many tragedies. I digress. Oh my lord! <laughs> and um, and like, can we also just call it out that, that it's unacceptable to police people that way? <laughs> yeah, it it totally is. But you know, back in the day, we you know the, the, there was yeah. no screaming, and yelling about it because you know yeah. there was just this this sense of this is the way it is. Yeah. And I think this is the thing that that saddens me about. And I feel so thrilled by your sharing of your journey, is that it's such a a resilient story. And I'm still so sad that it it, it's alive and well in the world today. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, when I was your age, you know, you would have thought hopefully in 30 years, it, it would have changed. Yeah. Um, and, and yet still here we are. And as I mentioned, a little exacerbated by social media. Yeah. With, oh you know, with still, with still dress sizes on breakdowns and, you know, like this still very limited view of, of who can perform what. Right. Exactly. Who can, yeah. and what body type is right for this thing, you know, an ever ongoing struggle and it it will be interesting to see how we emerge from COVID potentially as the the theater world, as the performing world opens up, how that might potentially begin to shift. I do see cracks in that. And of course there have been cracks along the way, but it's, um, 
it's an ever-present issue. Yeah. But on that note, I think it's time for us to take a break. And when we come back with Catherine McClintock, choreographer, poet extraordinaire, we're going to talk with her about, she is also a founder of the Inbox Dance Party. And I do want to get to that because I think it's awesome time management solutions when we come back on the edge of every day. Stay tuned. Join us every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern for the Mind Behind Leadership, where we focus on what leadership really means to us and to others. We have practical discussions with the CEOs of some of the world's largest companies, owners of small businesses, and experts in psychology and behavior to get that inside track, what to do, what to avoid, and what really happens. Join me, Graham Dobbin, at the new time, 4 p.m. every Tuesday for the Mind Behind Leadership, here live on talkradio.nyc. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. all pet lovers pet avengers assemble on the professionals and animal lovers show we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong it mirrors that bond between pets and their owners through this program we come together to learn educate and advocate join us live every wednesday at 2 p.m at talkradio.nyc You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Chipping around, kick my brain to the ground. These are the days it never And we are back with Catherine McClintock on the edge of every day. Just a couple of things, a little um, house cleaning here. Uh, Just wanted to remind listeners that um, New York Times bestselling author of The Plan, Lynn Janae Resitas, is going to be, has been rescheduled for next Monday. So mark your calendars for that. Um, And I'm sorry for anyone that tuned in on, on, um, Valentine's Day, unfortunately, unforeseen circumstances arose and we needed to reschedule. And also just wanted to remind people of my background. This is The Plum at TH2, theplumth2.com. This is my salon space where we are going to be recording The Edge of Every Day and live streaming from as soon as the weather warms up. Warms up. So check me out at the Plum th2.com and on insta please follow me on insta the plum at th2 live excellent so we are back with Catherine mcclintick and i i I do have a question about um ending the war on on your body but before we're going to close i'd like to close the show with that i do want to give some a bit of airtime to this wonderful project the in box party dance party 
Yeah. In, she is the founder of that. So tell us what that is and tell us about the Pomodoro technique. And I, I just loved this whole understanding. I've signed up for it too. I saw. Thank you for <laughs> signing welcome. up. I'm excited too. <laughs> welcome to the community. Um, this is something I started. I'd worked remotely before the pandemic and mm. I started sharing some of my resources with my community in short that help me work from home, even though I'm quite extroverted and I like being around people, but I've, I think I've really practiced finding these rhythms. Mm. And I think so much of the time management space is about controlling your body. And I think for me, it's really about working with it, like seeing it as a vital part of your energy. Working (laughs) with your body. That needs to be highlighted, not working against it in partnership with it. I love that. Yes. And I, I really think that that's what it's evolved to be even more than just time management. I would rather you take a nap than push yourself to burnout. And so But something that helps me a lot is taking vigorous dance breaks throughout the day. It helps move the blood around. It helps me get out of tunnel vision, helps me sit back down with a smile on my face and get back to work. And and I find that the best way to do that for me is setting timers. I was inspired by the Pomodoro technique, which is essentially 25 minutes on a five minute break, but I wasn't motivated to take the breaks at all. So... I made playlists to help with that. And I usually work for a little bit longer time. Like I've just found a rhythm that works for me within that Mm. uh, framework. And that's what I share. Just an easy resource. You don't have to toggle between focus music and fun music. Great. So, but you provide, so what if, if, if I'm, if I'm going to sign up for this, what am I going to get? How are you going to help me with my time management? What's it going to look like? Every week I have a little pep talk where I talk about some facet of time management, something that comes up around procrastination or something that your body's doing or or just a way that you're approaching life itself, a project. And I unpack it a little bit. And that seems to be what resonates with people the most is my pep talk. And then I also share the playlist. Once a month, I share resources, so books that influenced what I'm talking about, podcasts that have influenced what I'm talking about, um, TikToks that have influenced what I'm talking about, whatever whatever has influenced that. I share a list of resources, some tools. I also like to share a dance video with a dance prompt once a month as well that can get you going if you're feeling a little stuck. I love it. So your playlists are things yeah. that people could play in there when they set up where their break is. Yep, exactly. So it's automatic, auto-timed so that they would take a break and you would know it because suddenly the music is like, (laughs) (laughs) I so love that. I can't wait to get it. Uh, It's going to be fantastic. I will be sure to have my disco ball ready. Yay. To go. Ah. that's fantastic. And I, and I love how you've woven. This is the great, um, the great, the, the many hats that you wear, you've woven them in a way that all makes sense around being this kinetic, extroverted, distractible. You've, you've pulled the strengths in all that you've done in it, it including vulnerability. Vulnerability is an enormous strength. 
and your willingness to do that, include that in your writing. You've pulled the strengths from all in all that you do and offer them in such a beautiful way of service, of creating art, of uplifting people, encouraging people to connect to their bodies in new understandings and new ways. And I really, really, really salute you. It's fantastic. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. That's, I think that um, those through lines have really come to the surface for me this year. Yeah. So would you say that the process of, of creating and, and taking the step out and putting your poetry into a book and putting it out in the world. Hello, congratulations. How, how, how has that contributed to your healing? Uh, there, honestly, I thought I was done. This is the thing. The, the healing journey is nonlinear. My book talks about it. Processing it. Probably <laughs> lifelong. For- it's going to be, you know, there's always a new layer of this onion to unfurl. And I've definitely mm-hmm. found them in, in the prep for sharing this work. Um, oh, look at that. Look at that old bag. I'm still holding on to real tight. Um, and By I think way, one of- it never ends. <laughs> I, and I don't, that's okay. But and that's I, what being, that's what life is about. So what life is about, it's not this like clean before and after story, but there is so much more peace. And that I think is the victory, right? There's so much more tenderness and that is the victory is, is the warm embrace rather than the, the violent scratches. And um, I'm, I'm continuously reminded of that. And actually in order to make this project, I signed a little contract with it that I couldn't harm my body while making it. I couldn't undermine the message of what I was saying Mm. and making it. And any time. And so that, that act alone of being like, let's line up the action with the big idea has exposed where there's little actions that were not aligned. And I, I just can't move forward on anything in the project until that gets resolved. Basically, if I'm really feeling like crap about my body and I want to be mean and I want to skip lunch, nothing happens, (laughs) you know? And I think that that has been such an edifying activity for this. And I feel really, I've been saying this even before I knew that this is called the edge of every day, but I feel pushed to all my edges is what I've been saying. Pushing every boundary and every edge. Yeah, I've, I feel pushed on my edges and like I can't hide in old hiding spaces. I'm outgrowing the old hiding spaces. And, right. You, and you don't want to. Yes, You're, yes. exactly. Oh, I love that. So what advice would you give to, to, to people who are reading this book to young people? Uh. Um, your, your body is essential Mm. to you Mm. and it's part of what you do, not something that you have to have submit to you. And I think that the, there's so much to learn on the other side of, of servitude with the body, with the body as a partner. There's so much to learn there. And I would just encourage you to keep trying to equalize the the relationship between mind and body. 
That's spectacular. And I would add spirit. Yes, yes. It's also, I call it the aligned energy conference. Like you just have to have (laughs) everyone have a seat at that table in your head, all the parts of you. Yes, the conference table. Everyone, all three need to have it. Well, probably more. Probably more. For both of us, we have a few more of those. those. <laughs> I love it. Well, so folks, to get this book, where can it's April 2nd. Again, it's coming yes. out on April 2nd. The name is Ending the War on My Body, a book of poetry about healing, about a journey by Catherine McClintock. Her website, by the way, is Catherine McClintic, Catherine with a K and an E, M C C L I N T I C dot com. So I'm sure that everyone can get your book there. Are there other places that they can get it? That's that's where you'll learn about pre-order. So the best way to learn about when pre-order begins is endingthewaronmybody.com, which you can find through the Catherine McClintock website as well. Um, and if you get on that email list, you'll be the first to know all the places that it's going to be available, which is going to be everywhere on the internet, from Bookshop to Barnes & Noble, Ingram yeah, Spark, and we all can of run that. down to our local place too and say, listen, you've got to have copies of yeah, this. demand you it. you got to get her in there to do a, a, a <laughs> signing and a reading. I would love that. I would love that. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, you can start setting them up. But well, we have come to the end of our time together, Catherine. And I thank you so much for joining me on the edge of every day. It's been quite a pleasure to read your stuff and hear your story. And I look forward to getting the book. And thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for your thoughtful questions and really in-depth research. I am I feel so seen because of all the research (laughs) that you did. Thank you so much. Excellent. I love that. And thank you to all of you who are tuning in. Remember, we are always on the edge of the miraculous. So stay tuned next week, Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the edge of every day. Till I see you again, take good care. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. 
Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 